If we haven't met before, I'm Ashley and I'm the senior pastor here and we had so much fun at our last family night and so much breakthrough, honestly. It was such an amazing time and if you didn't get a chance to come, we're going to throw up the QR code for you again. Make sure that you sign up to be a part this week. We assign tables based on seasons of life because we're leaning into God's rhythms and his relationships, his way of doing things in this Roots series and we're pulling up roots from our culture and our upbringing that don't serve us and just aren't in alignment with what God says about us. And we're putting down new roots in Jesus and his ways and his truth. Come on. Last week, we talked about sex. Make some noise if you were here for that. Today, we're going to be talking about grief. I don't have as many fun jokes as last week, but I do have a powerful word from God that he wants to speak to our hearts today. And I felt it on Friday and yesterday, and I was so excited. And I know you guys have your expectations up to expecting God to speak to you today. And then it was really confirmed last night. You know, I woke up at 3 in the morning to the sound of a beep, beep. My husband's like, did you hear that? And I was like, well, I was, I was just going to pretend I was still sleeping and let you handle it. But it turns out our smoke alarm, you know, the battery died in the middle of the night. I have a theory that smoke alarm batteries only die in the middle of the night. So it's like three in the morning and my husband's so sweet. He jumps out of bed to, you know, be the hero and fix it. He opens the thing up. He's like, shoot, we don't have any nine volts. So he tries to reset the thing. And then all of the alarms in the whole house go off. Beep, 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 beep. You know, and we have children, so Sophie's seven, she comes out of her room, she's like, is our house on fire? She's shaking, I give her a hug, I'm like, it's not on fire, we're just trying to change a battery, I'm so sorry. This morning we asked Ryder, he's five, we said, why didn't you wake up? He's like, well, I heard it, but I just figured you guys would come get me if there was a fire. I'm like, don't do that next time, come get out of bed. So my husband and I, we're looking for batteries. We're like, one of these kids' toys has to have a 9-volt in it. Because, I mean, this beeping is happening every 30 seconds. It's 3 in the morning. I'm like, I might die of, like, torture and go insane by the time the morning comes. And no toys have this 9-volt. And so I Google it, and it says, um, stud finders have 9-volts? And I prayed. I'm like, Jesus, help us find a battery. And so I said, hey, honey, Google says that, you know, you, your stud finder might have a 9-volt. He's like, all right, great, I'm going to go look. He goes downstairs, comes back upstairs. He's like, you'll never believe it. I'm walking to the toolbox to get the stud finder, and right in front of me on the floor is a brand-new pack of 9-volt batteries. <laughs> I'm like, Jesus loves us. Thank you so much. So we fixed the smoke alarm and we went back to sleep. Of course that stuff happens on a Saturday night. But it gave me compassion for all the new parents in the house. You guys get like two hours of sleep a night. You guys are the real heroes. Come on. So today we're talking about grief and many people of hope have faced catastrophic losses. We've, we've got people who have lost their parents to genocide. We've got people whose children have died before them. We've got victims of crimes. Some of us even have lost family members this week. We face many losses in our lives because death is a part of life. And yet, 
how many times do we feel unequipped to deal with it? I was thinking this week about my first experience with loss. When I was seven, uh, my grandfather passed away. And that was the first time that I realized that people don't live forever. I think we've all had those moments where it's like, whoa, what do I do? And I remember my parents being lost in their own grief and being unsure of how to navigate my own feelings. Think back to your first experiences with loss. Were there roots that someone gave that were helpful to you, that helped you to get through that time? Or maybe you look back and you have more questions than answers, or you have roots that need healing in Jesus today. In my teenage years, I experienced a few more losses, some deaths of more grandparents, loss of friendships, and even becoming an adult means losing a childhood season to go on to an adult season, leaving behind childhood. Because not all loss is bad. Some of it's just a part of life. When I was 22, the church I was going to at the time went through a split, and it felt like the body of Jesus was being ripped in two. And people who were supposed to love like Jesus did things that Jesus would not do. And I lost many friends. And like David said in Psalms, it would have been one thing if it was my enemy, but it was someone with whom I had gone to the house of the Lord together. And I mourned our losses, and we helped others move forward in the grieving process. When I was 24, my husband lost his first job when his company liquidated and he was put in charge of the liquidation, and then the next year, that job ended. And we mourned the loss of dreams that he had at that company. When I was 27, his next job that we thought was gonna be stable moved to Tennessee, and we chose to stay here. Another loss. When I was 28, my dad died from an unexpected, sudden, massive heart attack at the age of 54. And I remember being pregnant with our daughter and someone knocking on our door at six in the morning and coming to tell us the news and thinking, is this a joke? What's going on? You know, just those shocking moments. And I'm the oldest child, so I took on being just the backbone of the family and taking care of mom and taking care of my sister. When I was 30, Jay and I got a call that our friend's teenage daughter had shot herself. And we drove to their house, and we found them screaming and crying in their yard. And we cried with them. A few months later, 12 weeks pregnant with our second child, I started bleeding. And the hospital told us that our baby didn't have a heartbeat. And I went to work the next day. I don't recommend it. I felt dead on the inside. That same year, I officiated a funeral for a 20-something-year-old young lady who had overdosed on heroin, and I tried to comfort her family for something that no family should ever have to go through. At age 31, I lost a job that I loved and the community that came with it, and I felt like I lost a part of myself, and I entered into a season of healing. Two days after Christmas, at age 33, I watched my mom take her last breath after a six-month battle with lung cancer. And I learned that year that for some people, death is a whole season of letting go. In 2020, we all lost. We lost community and connection and security. We lost dreams. Our family lost two more grandparents to COVID. 
My husband's job relocated to Texas, and we chose to stay. In 2022, I've lost more than I have in the past, and those things are still in process, but one day it's going to be a beautiful story of God's resurrection. Come on. And there's so many parts of it that already are. We all have a story of loss. Loss of loved ones, of health, of financial stability, betrayal, infertility, and the loss of dreams that went with that. Loss of stability and seasons just naturally ending. And yet we dread loss. We deny it. We avoid it. We blame others. We blame God. We distract ourselves. We self-medicate. And we search for shortcuts to heal our wounds. King Solomon, the wisest person who ever lived, said, It's good to face loss. It's good to think about the shortness of our lives in the light of eternity. Ecclesiastes 7.2, we're going to look at it together. It says, Better to spend your time at funerals than at parties. After all, everyone dies, so the living should take this to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for sadness has a refining influence on us. A wise person thinks a lot about death, while a fool thinks only about having a good time. Loss is hard, but God uses it to refine us in a way that nothing else can. He takes the hard things, and he does good things with them. And if we'll face our losses, if we'll absorb them into part of our humanity, then grief has the power to enlarge our souls to give us compassion for other people, to expand our faith, to help us move forward instead of staying stuck, and to be more fully alive as we embrace our humanity and our limitations. And it helps us to become more like Jesus. In order to do that, we recognize there's a time to mourn. Ecclesiastes 3.1 says, There's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, come on roots, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. If you don't take time to mourn, it's difficult to move forward. Grief converts our wounds into memories, and without grief, we keep reliving hurt. Grief ends the cycle, and we get to choose to be hurt people who hurt people or hurt people who are healed by Jesus and go around giving away his healing to other people. Come on. We can choose to carry the pain from our past into the present, or we can confront our wounds to become whole and bring God's healing to the world around us. We'll all face loss at some points in our lives. But because of Jesus, we don't lose hope. He said in John 16, 33, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. You will have trouble, but Jesus has victory over everything. He overcame every sickness, every pain, every enemy, every trial, everything that comes against you. He overcame death. Death that came from a result of Adam and Eve's choices. You see, sometimes we blame God when people die, but God did not choose death for us. It was a natural consequence of our choices. In the beginning, God created man and woman. He placed them in the Garden of Eden with everything that they needed. And he said, 
do not eat of this one tree, because if you eat of it, you'll die. He gave them safety, he gave them boundaries, and he gave them free will, whether to trust him or not, because love is not love without free will. So he said, I'll let you make your own decision. And Eve ate of the fruit she gave son to Adam, and death entered the world. But that's not the end of the story because of Jesus. Not only did God not cause death, but he sent Jesus to restore the relationship that was lost. Come on. He gives us the same opportunity that Adam and Eve had to choose to trust God or not. Loss is not God's fault. It's a result of living in a world where sin exists. So how do we grieve when it feels so unnatural, knowing that we were not created for death? For that, we're going to look at how King David handled loss. David was a man after God's own heart, and he's going to show us God's heart today. He was no stranger to loss. He was anointed king when the current king was still on the throne. And that king, King Saul, was threatened by him. And so David lost comfort. He lost comfort of his home and his friendships, his security, his peace. He was on the run. But when King Saul and his son Jonathan were killed in battle, David did not rejoice. Everybody else thought, oh man, he's going to be really happy. This is good. No, 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 no. He took time to mourn. He took time to grieve. He journaled a whole lament about grieving. In 2 Samuel 1, it says, David took up this lament concerning Saul and his son Jonathan. He ordered that the people of Judah be taught this lament of the bow. A gazelle lies slain on your heights, Israel, how the mighty have fallen. Daughters of Israel, weep for Saul, who clothes you in scarlet and finery, who adorned your garments with ornaments of gold. I love this. He's saying, join me in my grief. Verse 25, how the mighty have fallen in battle. Jonathan lies slain on your heights. I grieve for you, Jonathan, my brother. You are very dear to me. Your love was wonderful, more wonderful than that of women. He says, I am grieving my friend. And like David, we want to learn to grieve. And point one for you today, it's going to be on your note sheets and on the screen, is pay attention to your losses. Face and feel grief. Pay attention to your losses. Face and feel the grief. David could have went to work the next day after Saul and Jonathan died, but he didn't. He said, let's grieve. Most of the time for us, our gut reaction is to run from grief. We do it by staying busy or helping each other, attending to their needs, distracting ourselves with shopping or food or addiction or anything else that keeps us from facing and feeling pain because it hurts. But when we don't face it and feel it, we start to feel it in other ways. We feel it in our bodies. We've got tension in our necks. We've got knots in our stomachs, tightness in our throats. When we don't process before God the things that make us human, our anger, our sadness, our frustration, our fear, we store those emotions until they come out in other ways. We explode on people we love or we give them the silent treatment. We're passive-aggressive or sarcastic because we're wounded. We bury our unexpressed pain, but it's still there. It's planted in the soil of our hearts, and it will take root until it grows back up to the surface of our lives, until we feel depressed and we don't know why, or anxious or empty or lonely, because there are roots beneath the surface that need our attention. 
We're afraid to face those feelings because we're afraid that they'll take over. That if we feel them, we'll never stop feeling them. That the pain will never end. But if we'll grieve our losses before moving on, faith will grow, not pain. We find God at the depths of our grief. We find God at the bottom of that dark tunnel that we're going through. God is there. Psalm 34, 18 says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. God is near to us in our brokenness. That's a promise. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. If your heart's broken, let God love you. Seasons of grief bring us closer to God. We pray more than we ever do. We rely on him more than we ever do. He sustains us in our pain. That's why the enemy wants us to be mad at God when we have losses. He wants us to cut off the comfort that God has to give. 2 Corinthians 1.3 says God's the father of comfort. He's the father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in our troubles. So we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. God is the father of compassion, of comfort. That's comforting. When we're rooted in Jesus and connected to him and sourcing from God, we're receiving his comfort, a real comfort that's beyond all understanding. And when other people face loss, we have comfort that we've received that we can give away. Come on. Grief, yeah. Grief makes us more compassionate. It makes us more sensitive to other people. It makes us more broken and humble and understanding. So how do we face it and feel it? I got six steps for you, and they, they all start with A, because preachers like alliteration. And we have them on your note sheet, so you can just listen and process. And these can be done in any order, but I believe all these things are vital to facing and feeling grief. And the first one is just acknowledging the attachment. Acknowledge the attachment, because the greater that you love someone, the greater the depth of grief that you feel. You can't just stop feeling your feelings because they're not there anymore or because the opportunity isn't there anymore. The pain that you feel is a sign that you're human and that you're alive on the inside. Identify what you lost. Remember what David said? He said, I grieve for Jonathan, my brother. I loved him. Acknowledge the relationship that you have. Acknowledge the opportunity that you lost. Second one today, letter B, is accept that you're not in control. This is hard for us because we don't want to be vulnerable. We don't like to admit that we're not in charge. It feels a little scary until we realize that God is completely in control and we can trust him. Proverbs 3, 5 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. You don't have to understand everything to be able to accept that God is in control. Grief makes us more able to admit that we don't know everything, but God does and he is faithful except that you're not in control. Letter C is appreciate what you valued. Appreciate what you valued about the person or the opportunity, the good things. Celebrate the memories. Celebrate what you loved about them. Grief makes us more thankful for what we have. Appreciate what you valued in the things that maybe didn't end so well, like that project at work that totally failed and you lost. Appreciate the fact that you built new relationships through it. Maybe your friend broke up with her boyfriend or girlfriend and they're just trying to bash that person. Give them permission 
to appreciate what they lost, the things that they did value. It's going to help them. When it comes to people, you're grieving a whole person, good and bad. And some of us can't get over our past because we're magnifying the bad and we're not grieving any of the good. Appreciate what you valued. Find the good. The next one is admit the flaws. Others of us can't move forward because we've idolized what was lost so that nothing else can measure up. We can't make new attachments or form new relationships because no one could be like that person or no job could be as good as that one was. Admitting the flaws helps us to say goodbye completely. And that doesn't mean forgetting about the good, but it means grieving forward. And it's the same with grieving a season of life. There were good things and there were bad things in that season. And we want to be honest about both. Not only does it help us move forward, but it helps us to grow, helps us to learn what we could do differently to give us what we need for our next season. The next one is allow others to comfort you. That's what David did when he asked the people to join him in his grief. Allow others to comfort you. Matthew 5, 4 says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. When we're hungry, we need food. When we're sick, we need a doctor. When we're mourning, we need comforted. And it sounds so simple, and we skip it, we take it for granted, but it is vital. The mourning needs comfort. God is our first and our best comforter, but he also uses people to comfort us. The Hebrews would mourn in community. They would all put on sackcloth together and grieve as one. I have a friend from Rwanda, and when they lose a loved one, the whole family moves into their house and takes care of them for a month. He's like, you guys are weird that you don't do that. Comfort yourself by allowing other people to comfort you. Surround yourself with people who care about you and are with you in your grief, who can help fill the void of what you're now missing while you're healing. Studies show that during seasons of trauma and loss, our IQ drops 30 points. Yikes. Don't worry, it comes back. Thank you, Jesus. But you need people around you to help you in your grieving season because you're not yourself. And sometimes we don't know how to help people grieve. We like to do things. We want to help. We like to buy flowers or make food. And those are really good things. But remember that those who mourn need comfort. Sometimes they just need you to be with them in silence. Sometimes they just need a hug. They need you to empathize or validate their feelings. Don't give advice. Don't try to cheer them up or change the topic. Let them mourn. Emotional maturity is choosing to be with a grieving person as they process. We're going to be talking about that next week, just our soul health. And I hope you can be here for that one and bring a friend. The last key is access your feelings. David was really good at this. He wrote so much of the Psalms, just experiencing the whole gamut of emotions and feelings and processing them to God. Allow yourself to feel sad when your body is trying to let it out. Don't suppress it. Ecclesiastes 7.3 says, a sad face is good for the heart. It's a good verse. A sad face is good for the heart. What does that mean? Sadness on your face means healing is happening in your heart. It's not staying stuck in there. Your sadness is coming out. It's like when our immune system is detoxing and sometimes you'll see a reaction on your skin when your body's processing out internal stuff. The same thing is true for your heart when you let your sadness out. This week at chapel at our school, Hope Academy, 
man, there was just such a powerful presence of God in the room. And I could feel myself just welling up with tears. And in the moment, I was like, oh, should I stuff those things back down? Or should I let them out? Because I was about to go on stage to preach. And I just started crying. And you know what? I chose to let out my full range of my humanity. And when we do that, it's better for us. I know it's not normal, but it's better. When you think about grief, it's unpredictable. It's like the weather. It comes and it goes. You can't, you know, predict the temperature or the rain. It just comes. And it lasts different lengths for different people. It pops up when you least expect it. Sometimes you're driving down the road and you're just overcome by sadness. Or you smell a familiar smell and it reminds you of someone that you cared about. Allow yourself to engage in and embrace the moment when you feel those things. There are not shortcuts when it comes to processing grief, but it will take longer if you try to avoid it, if you try to go around it. The next key for you today, point two, is that we want to remember grief is a process. Instead of make it stop, we want to change our confession to make it count. When we're going through pain, oh man, how many times have we prayed, God, please make it stop. I don't know if I can handle any more. We want to change our confession to say, I trust you. Make it count. Don't take me through a season prematurely. Grief is a waiting season between the old and the new. We have the first day of fall this week, and that's when things are starting to die. And the earth is getting ready for winter when it's going to be barren. But the ground is getting ready then for spring. It's a time of preparation. Grief is like that. It's a season between loss and new life. For King David, it was a season between Saul being king and him becoming king. And he had been in a waiting season for a long time, actually. From the time he was anointed, all the running around and chasing that Saul did, trying to kill him. He, in that time, killed a giant. He chose to be a person of integrity. And all those things helped him to be a successful king when it was time to take his throne. In a relationship, it's taking time to heal before moving on to the next thing. In a job, it's learning from one opportunity before being entrusted with the next. In a death, it's letting God enlarge your faith for the next season. James 1.3 says that you know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and it shows its true colors. Don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work in you so you become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. If you don't know what you're doing, pray to the Father. He loves to help. You'll get his help, and you won't be condescended to when you ask for it. I love that. Don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Your grief will end. It's a season. It's not a permanent state. We ask God to make it stop when it's hard, but he's using the hard things in your life for your good, and he knows what you're capable of, and he won't let you be crushed. Come on. He wants to give you what you need that you can't get any other way. Our friends hatch baby chicks, and they were showing them to my kids, and I didn't know this, but a baby chick has to do the work of busting out of its shell in order to survive in life. If you get that thing out of there prematurely, if you help it out, it'll die because it doesn't have the strength that it needs to survive. In the same way, hard seasons help us grow. It's the same for our kids, you know, if we make everything easy for them and, you know, fight all their battles, then they won't have things that they need when they grow up. It's okay if you don't know what you're doing. 
God wants you to ask him for help, and he won't look down on you for asking. 1 Peter 1.6 says, For a little while you may have had to suffer grief in various trials, so that the proven character of your faith, more precious than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He says, in this world you will suffer grief, but your faith, more precious than gold, is being refined. And that faith, that relationship with God will last into eternity. And when you're grieving, God is refining you. He's not letting a season go to waste. I think about when I was in between jobs for a year, when I thought my calling was over and God was done with me. And every time I would pray or read my Bible and say, God, what's next? He would say, wait. He would give me verses on waiting. And honestly, I was like, God, I'm tired of waiting. I hear you. I don't want to wait. But I chose to trust him anyway. He would say things like Isaiah 40, 31, those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Come on. In the waiting, God is renewing your strength for the next part of your journey. In the waiting, he's renewing inside of us the things that we need for the next season. In the waiting, he's pruning away the things that are stunting our growth. And if we don't allow him to mature us in our season, we'll have the same blind spots and the same weak points in the next season. I look at the Bible and Noah waited 120 years for the flood to come. The whole time people are mocking him like, what are you doing building a boat? God's preparing him internally because after the flood, Noah was leading the people of the earth. Joseph waited over 20 years through slavery and prison before he, got, he saw God's promises come to pass in his life. Moses waited 40 years in the desert. He went from the palace to the desert before God used him to set his people free. God does not waste a season. Waiting seasons are not wasted seasons. They're seasons of preparation. Come on, let me say it again. Come on. Waiting seasons are not wasted. God is preparing you in that season. I think about my own life, and if I had just moved on and said, I don't want to wait, God, I wouldn't have what I need to be where I am today. There was character development that had to happen in that season, so I didn't crumble in the next season. So when we're in a waiting series, a waiting season, we don't want to beg God to stop. We don't say, make it stop, God. We say, make it count. I trust you. You know what you're doing. I'm not in control, but you are. Isaiah 66, 9, God says, I will not cause pain without allowing something new to be born, says the Lord. This is one of my favorite promises. Think about it. If labor pain didn't lead to beautiful babies being born, no one would endure it. Amen, ladies. The baby that's placed in your arms at the end of the labor is worth all of the pain. So are the hard things in our lives. God will not allow pain without allowing something new to be born. Grief has forward motion. It means we're be, being prepared for what's next, for what he's birthing. If you're in the middle of a painful season, something new is about to be born. Isaiah 43, 19, he says, I'm about to do something new. I have already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. God takes the things that look dead 
and he resurrects them. He takes what looks like a mess in your life, what looks barren, and he does something new with it. Our last point today, number three, is hold on to hope. The end of one season is the beginning of the next. Hold on to hope. The end of this season is the beginning of the next. King Saul had to die in order for King David to take the throne. And often what appears to be a catastrophic ending becomes the foundation of a new beginning that we just can't see yet. Speaking of Jesus, Isaiah 61, 1 says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Jesus heals the brokenhearted. Jesus comforts the mourning. Jesus gives us beauty instead of ashes and praise instead of despair. He takes our dead dreams and he resurrects them. He restores the things that we've lost. After my waiting season, God resurrected dreams I thought were dead and he gave me new and better dreams. He gave me new passion, new purpose, new peace. And those things would have never happened if other doors hadn't closed and seasons hadn't ended. Without Jesus, there is no hope of new seasons and new things. When Jesus was talking to his disciples about how he was going to die on the cross, he said, John 12, 24, Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. He's saying death must precede new life. And the disciples didn't understand, but Jesus had to die so that humanity could have a relationship with God. He who knew no sin had to become sin. He had to take on all of our sins so that we could become the righteousness of God. So that our relationship with him that we lost in the Garden of Eden could be restored. Sometimes things have to die in order for other things to live. Wherever you're at today, you've got to grieve some things to move forward. You've got to grieve your divorce and allow that relationship to die before you can have a hope of moving on. You've got to grieve your old church before you can move on to thriving here. You've got to grieve your parents before you can form new relationships with people who invest in you and mentor you. If you're finding yourself struggling to move forward in an area of life, it might be because you haven't grieved. This week, I want to encourage you to give yourself permission to process, maybe to grieve some things that you haven't even thought of in 20 years. We're going to be doing an activity together on Wednesday at family night to help everyone forward in grief. If you can make it, man, don't miss it. When you let go, when you process your losses, when you have closure, the grave becomes a garden. What was dead becomes a source of new life. It was the same thing with Jesus' tomb. Death had to happen so resurrection could take place. Jesus was crucified on Friday. He was buried in a tomb. Saturday, his disciples were waiting like, what is happening? And Sunday, he rose from the dead. The Bible says he destroyed death. And when we trust in him, death doesn't have the final word in our lives either. Come on. Come on. 
whatever has been lost in your life can be resurrected through Jesus. That's the hope we're talking about.